I'm Sean Sheehan. And I'm Rodney Robinson. And this is the Teacher's Caucus Podcast. This meeting of the Teacher's Caucus is now in session. I'm Sean Sheehan, and with me as always is Rodney Robinson. Rodney, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to all our listeners. Uh, Are you a resolutions kind of guy? Uh, I like to say I'm a resolutions kind of guy, but then by February, all those resolutions are pretty much (laughs) out the window, and I'm just trying to maintain like everybody else. But Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to the listeners. Um, Yeah, we got an interesting time right now. It's a new year in Virginia. We got new government coming in. We have a new secretary of ed, new superintendent. So things are about to get really interesting here in Virginia. So I'm just making a resolution to just to be a part of the change that's going on to make sure that everybody's voice is heard. How about you? Yeah, you know, we're about to embark on that journey that y'all went through last November this cycle. So we've got primaries in March and then we've got all the state offices, governor, all that in in November. So we're, we're rolling, you know, the campaign ads are already starting to pop up, but Hey, tonight, uh, we didn't venture too far from your state. We didn't venture far from your class. Actually, we've got 2019 North Carolina teacher of the year, Freebird McKinney with us. Freebird, please introduce yourself to our listeners. Good evening, everyone. My name is Freebird McKinney. And, uh, as Sean said, uh, I had the privilege and honor of serving under, uh, Rodney Robinson as the 2019 North Carolina state teacher of the year when he was the national teacher of the year. So, uh, I feel like that that crew did some great things, and we're continuing to do some great things. So I'm very honored to uh, to be here with you tonight and uh, and, and to talk uh, public education. Let, let's cut the whole serving under thing. Like I was like the secretary <laughs> of education or something. Hey, you let us now. You serve, Come on. You serve with <laughs> us. We serve together. <laughs> Amen. Amen. <laughs> So, Freebird, we're just going to dive right in tonight. So, what's the latest going on in North Carolina right now? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I'm really excited about this year's coming up. Um, There's been a lot of things that have been unfolding in North Carolina in public education. I think probably the greatest, uh, you know, hope that we had coming into 2022 is that we would have a budget. Uh, And so, we did uh, pass a budget uh, in... um, in November. And, uh, you know, it's got some great highlights. I I think some of these highlights include there, there are some, uh, some raises for our educators. Um, there was a, what what we would call an additional 1.5 billion, um, and funding over two years that would support, uh, many of our different initiatives, particular that, which, uh, some of you may be aware of with, uh, called the Leandro case here in North Carolina, um, so there were some salary increases. A lot of that's coming in the form of bonuses, which um, a, a lot of those bonuses will drop uh, by the end of January. Um, we increased the minimum wage uh, over two years in the first year to $13, second year to $15. Um, there's some funding prioritized to support student uh, staff and mental health needs. Uh, and then also some funding to assist uh, low performing districts and efforts to to really um, improve our literacy proficiency, which is a, a statewide initiative. We were lucky to have a, a, a Senate bill early on in the long session that really um, focused on moving to the science of reading across our state. Uh, and that's been a huge initiative, gotten a lot of support from our districts and our education preparation programs there. Um, I, I'm also really excited about uh, many of the efforts that we're looking at towards teacher recruitment and retention. And uh, 
I've been blessed to uh, to be asked to serve uh, on a state board committee led by uh, cha uh, Chair Wendell Hall and Vice Chair Jill Kamnitz. Uh, and this is the Committee on Government Community Affairs. And we've got three main priorities right now. And I think these really align to many of the challenges that we're facing, not only in North Carolina, but across our country right now. So the first of those is, uh, is student mental health, uh, so student health and well-being needs. Um, the second is teacher recruitment and retention. And the third are, are partnering up with our EPPs on our uh, Institutes of Higher Learning in that recruitment and retention process, particularly in focusing on the diversification of the workforce uh, and building out recruitment and retention efforts at the high school level that, that lead into either community college or, uh, or that, um, that uh, education preparation program. So particularly that committee I've been really excited about. A couple of other initiatives that I wanted to share uh, is that we are working um, towards uh, a, a really lifting up the teacher voice. Um, Superintendent Truill, when she took the role, she made two uh, very important appointments, in the, and that is Julie Pittman, who is the teacher engagement advisor. She was actually a former regional teacher of the year in North Carolina, and then Tabari Wallace, who was the 2019 uh, North Carolina Principal of the Year, she appointed him in a, in a principal advisor role. So really trying to lift up the voices of the educator. Uh, and then she's charged, uh, obviously, in, in my role, in Julie and Tabari, in, in traveling across the state and bringing the, the voices of our educators to Raleigh, uh, which is where our General Assembly is, but also forming partnerships. Uh, working with our stakeholders out in the field, whether that be districts, whether those be other um, organizations and, uh, and, and philanthropic uh, groups that are focused on lifting the voice of the educator and the, and the teacher recruitment and retention efforts. Um, we're really excited. Uh, in February, we will launch the first North Carolina Teacher Council Summit. Um, so the superintendent charged Julie Pittman with selecting 30 teachers from across the state of North Carolina that would become a, a voice for educators. So what we're doing is bringing everybody together for the first time and, and, and walking through, like, what are the challenges? You know, what are we hearing from the ground? And then, you know, kind of walking through a, a process of, okay, what is it that we can do individually about these challenges? What is it that we can do collectively who are the appropriate stakeholders? Who are the, you know, who are, who's in the room where it happens? And then how can we use our voices to advocate for those necessary changes that we're trying to see? So I, I feel like there's some great initiatives unfolding right now. And I, I wanted to lift up particularly those in, in regard to teacher recruitment and retention. Yeah. And I, I, I've seen those on your social media, man. Like I've seen that play out. I'll kick it over to you, Rodney, in a second. But uh, so can I, can I ask really quickly if, if, if I, I think they're successful in lifting up teacher voices, is it producing results? Would you say? It has it produced results? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's a little early on in the process. So the 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 council was formed in uh, late October, early November. So we've been meeting uh, monthly, kind of laying the foundation of what that work is. And our first face to face summit will be at the end of February. So I feel like I I can tell you one thing, and that is. North Carolina, and I, I, I'm, I'm guessing this is probably similar in a lot of our states, there's such regional differences that it's so important to get a regional voice. 
And so we have eight regions that uh, that we serve in the state of North Carolina. And so to be able to have not only the diversity of the regions, but also the diversity in the backgrounds of those teachers and what they're teaching, whether they're teaching in small rural North Carolina or in Charlotte, Greensboro or Raleigh, um, you know, I think that's been what's re- been, I think, the most impactful is bringing these regional teacher of the year voices, some of the district teacher of the year voices, but then some other teachers who were selected by by our regional directors um, because of the voice that they carry in their own areas and how they could bring that to a statewide um, and, you know, to impact policy. Okay. I'm, I'm going to go back for a minute because something you said that kind of just blew my mind said, you guys have a budget? Like, how do you operate without a budget? That just seems like bureaucratic chaos to me. How, yeah. Can you explain how that works? Yeah, it, you know, it, it was really difficult at, at first, particularly, and, and Rodney, I think it's more about just, you know, like as an educator, knowing that that those who are making decisions, they have faith in what we're doing, right? Like, I mean, imagine kind of that that, that consternation where, I mean, you don't know where, where the funding's going to come to support your districts and all the many initiatives and programs that are unfolding. So they passed a series of mini budgets that work through. And then I think really what kind of changed the dynamics of everything is I began my role uh, basically two, three weeks into COVID. So we went from, you know, moving from not having a, a budget to, I mean, we're dealing with COVID as of March. Uh, and so I think the shift in that, you know, for the, for, you know, in, in my role as a, a, a director of government and community affairs, you know, we hit the ground running. We were, I think, one of the first states to really focus on child nutrition. The Out of that first series of CRF funding, the, the General Assembly appropriated $75 million to, to child nutrition. And that was our first priority. So we were kind of dialed in on, on several initiatives, getting devices into students' hands, um, you know, making sure that transportation's running for that food delivery and for that device delivery, making sure that we were doing our best to get internet to uh, even our most uh, rural areas, whether that's, you know, building out uh, um, uh, devices that would, that would, that would carry the internet. I, I think that we, we pivoted really quickly to that and it kind of moved us towards several smaller budget uh, decisions, particularly the COVID funding that was coming into our state. Yeah. That, that, I remember that was a little frustrating on my end because seeing all of a sudden all these things they said they couldn't do, like putting devices in kids' hands and putting internet in, ho- in houses, all of a sudden you snap your finger and it was done overnight. And I, and I was extremely grateful that you know our state did that, but it was a little frustrating as an educator because we've been screaming at the top of our lungs for years that you know, our kids needs, need these things. And it took really a pandemic for it to, for it to happen. So that was a, a bit frustrating on our end in Virginia. And so I just, the whole budget thing is just chaotic to me because right now we're in the midst of, <clears throat> we have this thing where we're transitioning, but the old governor who's leaving proposed the budget for the new governor and general assembly. So He's promising pie in the sky right now to everything. And in reality, we know that once the new 
government takes over, that's not going to happen. So it feels so I understand that budget and how it can hold things up seems just really frustrating to go what four or two or four years. You guys didn't have a budget. Yeah. Now, I mean, it, this will be the first time the, that so there was one biennium that went through and then we were, were late into this biennium. But uh, everything got signed in November. Governor signed off on it. And um, so we're we're ready to now see where um, not. And I think, you know, it's going to be really important for us, you know, as individual states to really do an assessment of how all of the, the different ESSER fundings, the art fundings, CARES, you know, all of these funding how that's actually being used and 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 where we're moving that needle. So uh, an, another initiative that our state, uh, our superintendent developed what's called the Office of Learning Recovery and Acceleration. Um, and so that group led by Dr. Marr, Michael Marr, um, will be focused on how are these funds being used and then really looking at promising practices that have come out of those and how can we take the lessons that we've learned from that funding and then when the next biennium comes around, say, look, we've got two years of, you know, when we're funded and when we're innovative with that funding and assessing uh, critical needs of our students, whether they be, you know, student health and well-being, whether they be academic, whether they're literacy, whether they're, you know, additional support staff, like here, here's the data that we can show this is successful and this works. Because I think that's going to be really crucial moving into 2024 when that funding ends and we've got to now say, this is what was successful, this is what moved the needle, and this is where we're going to need your continued support um, in the next budget round. Because you're right, like COVID exacerbated many of the problems we already knew that occurred, but then we were able to address some of those in, in the short term. But will we have a funding cliff when when a lot of this funding ends up ending and what do we have to show for it? And I think that's going to be the most important thing is that we've got to be able to show that we met our students' most critical needs when, when we were given additional funding. So Freebird, it's, it's got to be a blessing for those educators in North Carolina to be able to say, like, that's our guy, right? 2019 North Carolina Teacher of the Year. He's now serving as Director of Legislative and Community Affairs. He gets us. Is that, is that the, the sentiment you get when you're out and about speaking with your stakeholders? Well, you, you know, I, I hope that that's the center, but I'm also very aware and conscious of the fact that, I, you know, I haven't been in a classroom for three years, right? Uh, you, you know, and so, I mean, that, that there's only so much weight that one singular voice, particularly someone who's been out of the classroom for three years. So the, I think the next step of what Julie Pittman and I are really trying to do in her role as the uh, teacher uh, engagement advisor to the state superintendent and both of our roles with the Committee on Government and Community Affairs for the State Board is to figure out ways to, to lift up our, our colleagues in, to an even greater degree. Um, I, I feel like that the, our, our, the Teacher Council is doing an incredible job. Also, uh, the AIM conference, the, this most recent conference, this, we pulled together over a thousand educators from North Carolina at the beginning of December. It was the first really public face-to-face -face conference that North Carolina had. had. Um, and it was really meant to just uplift, to motivate, but to inform of all the great uh, initiatives and programs across our state that our districts are involved in, that many of our stakeholders are involved in. It was a three-day conference in Raleigh. Uh, there was an unbelievable feeling of camaraderie, 
And when we left that, I think we all, there was a revived commitment to whatever it is in our individual roles that we need to do to advocate and to push forward North Carolina public schools, but also collectively. Um, And I wanted to lift up a couple of the initiatives, including the teacher council and the summit that's coming up, Um, the Huntley Commission, which is a... uh, a bipartisan commission that is looking to synthesize innovative practices that really inform education policy. This will include legislators, district leaders. This will include a multitude of stakeholders. Um, The Hunt Commission has also launched Elevate NC, which looks at pipeline development for all sectors of of public education. So from, you know, K-12 to community college to our uh, education uh, preparation programs at the college university level, um, workforce development. This is an, an initiative that our state superintendent is really committed to. How are we linking that to human capital and developing recruitment and retention strategies and programs? Uh, and then drive task force, stride, uh, NCTs, which are all committed towards diversifying the workforce and really providing opportunities and ac- uh, access to our students of color who really want to join this profession. That is, it's, it's been a huge um, commitment by the board, by the state superintendent operation Polaris. And I, I feel like these parts are really starting to come together now. That's great. Well, Hey, you know what? I, something we're all pretty, the three of us here are very legislative focused in our work policy focused. And I just now remembered something I wanted to run by each of us, ask each of us to respond to is, What's the education policy that we want to see most in 2022? So take a moment. I'll, I'll start. But Rodney, that's to you. Freebird, that's to you. What do you want to most want to see where you're at? And so, you know, the, 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 the previous episodes, we've talked a lot about, obviously, COVID. And this, Freebird, you had addressed, like, how we're using the government funds, federal funds. I wonder a bit about, you know, what can we do that's wildly different than what we've been doing, right? Uh, if, and you had kind of touched a bit on this, Freebird. If, if we take nothing away from, and we're still living through, we're still living and teaching through a pandemic right now. We got to figure out what our numbers look like when we reopen. Our kids come back Thursday for us, um, in this first week of January. But it can't just be business as usual. Like the goal for policy and we're we're by we're by an annual when we meet so we won't meet again until 2023 but the goal can't just be like a return to normalcy is a return to how we were doing it in 2018 and 19 you know so i wonder a bit about what the state of texas can do that is distinctly different <laughs> the thing is that the last session from 21 i don't know that we moved in that direction and then to just get hyper-specific to the state of Texas, I mean, we've got some school safety stuff that we really need to to address that we've got to have in the cards. You know, we closed out the year 2021. Uh, we had had this episode with Rick Joseph, but uh, we had lots of threats circulating on social media, and it just, it was it was a pause again. You know, my wife's still in the classroom. I'm in the central office now, but you still pause. And if you're dropping off kids in the morning, you still pause and you're kind of like, Ugh. Mm-hmm. You, you shake your head, you say a little prayer in the car. And uh, man, that's so, um, it's exhausting. It's absurd. It's absurd that we're still, the best answer we've got for it is like, oh, shoulder shrug, you know, hope, hope folks are responsible gun owners, you know, and, and no one does, does this again. So 
uh, that, that's the thing that I'd like to see in 2022 is a, a very intentional focus, not that broad swath of mental health and wellness, because that's a lot of different buckets. I'm really talking about school safety so that because that affects teacher recruitment and retention for sure. That affects, you know, definitely student uh, health and wellness is just like hard and fast. This is what we're doing differently that should make you feel safer. Rodney, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. Um, and one thing, you know, as I think about what can we do different, I just want to see some more options on the on the table for parents. Because one of the things that I noticed throughout the pandemic was, you know, even though people talk learning loss, academics and everything, I talked to some people who were very successful during that time, during that time of academic, you know, doing that virtual learning. And so I think we should use this, take a severe look at how can we build out the virtual learning platform to be more family friendly, to be more student friendly, to be more engaged, to build more engagement? I think it's a great opportunity because one of the issues I've seen now is that students are dropping out because they were making money. They were working jobs. And now that school has opened back up, they've had to quit and go back to school. And some of them are saying, now nah, I'm not going to quit and uh, choosing to work jobs. And I see... I think Washington, D.C. is doing some really innovative things to get um, students back in the classroom and adjusting seat time, adjusting school. And I think we really need to start looking at what worked well during the pandemic, what worked well for our students, what worked well for our families, and just build that out, whether that is a virtual platform, whether that is, you know, a hybrid learning, what worked well during the pandemic that we didn't normally do. And let's focus on building that out so that all families, all learners can be engaged and be successful in our schools. And then always, I'm going to you know, always toot that horn of teacher diversity and what we can do to get more uh, teachers of color in the classroom and keep the teachers of color we have in the classroom. But then just more practical things, just student loan forgiveness. I know if you listen to the TK episode, you yeah. went on that went, that, went down that hole. But student loan forgiveness, I keep telling people that is a the number one teacher's recruitment retention strategy that we can have is just student loan forgiveness because it sort of takes away some of the financial burden that a lot of teachers are facing in the United States. How about you, Freebird? So, you know, it's it, we've been using a phrase, my colleagues and I, it's called hashtag beyond normalcy. You know, it's, it's I, again, we cannot go back to normal. So how are we going to take the lessons that we've learned? So I, I echo many of your sentiments there. I, I wanted to focus on, I'm going to go back to this. This has been, the, you know, my passion, particularly in this role. Um, it, the, the North Carolina Education Human Capital Roundtable it was a multi-sector coalition of education stakeholders. We started meeting in 2018 to really look at like how could we transform North Carolina Pathways for Excellence for teaching professionals? Like what would it mean to transform the entire system, the whole entire pipeline from from building out at the high school level to licensure to um, to looking at what it means to be an effective educator to looking at uh, teacher leadership roles and coaching, mentoring, advanced teaching roles, and then obviously a, a, a new compensation model that, that fairly um, compensates our educators. And, and so I'm really excited because the work of that coalition 
has has now started to come uh, public. We've been presenting at the State Board of Education. Um, it is now working in subcommittees in our Professional Education Preparation Standards Commission. So we're really trying to invite a much more diverse population into the profession, trying to offer individual advancement and growth opportunities for those who want to join the profession of education, trying to encourage our best teachers to stay in the classroom and to lead from the classroom, whatever that might look like, but to be compensated for that. And then open, ultimately to look at a, a compensation model that, that may start with um, a, a lower model uh, given the fact that they might have an, an associate's degree, work their way up, look at internship and apprenticeship opportunities. Like, but how do we transform the whole entire pipeline of, of educators in the state of North Carolina? Um, and I'm really excited because it seems like that work's beginning to unfold and we're starting to make some some strides with that. The, the superintendent and, uh, and many other stakeholders have really uh, started to lift that up. So I'm 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 very excited about that, and I hope that that uh that that takes off, and and we we're moving that down the road over the next couple of years to the next biennium. That's great. Well, for our listeners, I hope you'll engage with us on social media. Let us know what policies you want to see in 2022, where you're at uh, on all of our social media platforms, and tag us in it. Well, we're up to our homework assignment time, Freebird. So I hope you're ready for a, a homework assignment for all of our listeners. What 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 do they need to to do or know or read or listen to? What do you think? So I, I wanted to kind of challenge, um, you know, one of the things that we've really been focusing on with, with our, as we've been traveling around, listening to educators, working in districts is, you know, who's telling the story of, of public education? Um, and particularly in the, in the state of North Carolina. And, and I want us to kind of think about that, like who's telling the story, whether that's our own individual story or the story of North Carolina public education. Who's telling the story of our students? Like, if if uh, if if us as teachers aren't the ones doing that, then who's actually telling that story for our students and for our families? What perspectives being used uh, as that sh- story is being shared? Um, and, and then when we're looking at that story, like, what are the values being reflected in that? And then whose values are those? And, and do we have a common definition as advocates, as what we call educator diplomats, in, in what that value is? Uh, and then as we're working in our advocacy roles, like really starting to narrow down, like what are the specific challenges that we need to identify? Who are the stakeholders who are most impacted by those changes that need to be made? Like who are we going to ultimately lift up the most? But then again, who are the policymakers that are most influential in carrying out those changes? And how are we using our voices as educator diplomats to impact the change that we want to see both with our stakeholders, but also with our policymakers? And then lastly, like where are those partners that we can engage with individually or whether or not it's with those organizations that we partner with? Like who can we depend on to help us move this work forward? Uh, and I just wanted to kind of throw some of those challenges out because I think the story and who gets to tell the story and for who is really important right now. As, as we're looking at social media, as we're looking at even national media outlets, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the storytelling of public education. I'm like, you know, who's telling it? And whose voices are actually being represented? Now, I just want us to continue as we're focused on our advocacy to always keep those thoughts in mind. 
I mean, yeah, <laughs> who's telling the story? You know, that's a history teacher for you. You know, that's one thing we always ask our kids when we study history is who's telling the story, whose voice is in the room, who's not in the room. So those are really, really, that's really important homework. But um, what kind of extra credit particularly would you have for North Carolina educators? And again, so as we launched the North Carolina Teacher Council, I would really challenge our our educators to reach out to who that individual is. Like, you know, one of the things that we talk about is is teacher voice. Um, and where is that voice going to be most impactful? Is it going to be in the classroom? Is it going to be at the school level with the, with your school improvement teams? Is it going to be at the district level with your school boards or your county commissioners, the state level with the General Assembly or other stakeholder groups, or maybe even at a national or international level? And I think that that's ultimately the extra credit is find those pieces of North Carolina public education that you're passionate about, that you, you feel compelled to advocate for, to be that agent at change that you talked about early, Rodney, uh, and where can you have the most impact at, at those levels? And so uh, that's my extra credit. And um, I, hopefully uh, many of, of my colleagues know how to how to reach out and, and how to become more involved if that's something that they're interested in. And as the teacher council unfolds, we're really looking forward. Uh, I, Rodney, I don't know if you knew this or not, but uh, Stacey McAdoo really kicked it off at our uh, at our November planning and work yeah. session and shared out kind of the Arkansas model of of of, uh, of statewide advocacy. And we've kind of looked at elements of that and tried to build that in. You know, again, how do we give teachers um, the tools to be able to be the greatest advocates using their voices to the best of their ability? All right. Well, Freebird McKinney, thank you so much for bringing your shire to the Teachers Caucus. You can find Freebird on Twitter. You can find Freebird on Twitter at uh, Freebird's Shire. And look, just stay doing big things in, in North Carolina, man. They, they, they're they lucky to have your voice in that role. Uh, and all our listeners, uh, we appreciate if you like what we're doing, uh, the likes, the shares all help. Rate and review us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And this meeting of the Teachers Caucus is now adjourned.